Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. This podcast is partially about specialization, partly about the expertise that you develop as a specialist and the other benefits that come with that, and it's partly about entrepreneurship. Today's guest is about that third thing, entrepreneurship. My God, there is so much about entrepreneurship that looks nothing like coding up a, a SaaS, eating ramen, hustling, trying to find investors, or doing the bootstrap thing. There's so much about entrepreneurship in the world of providing services that just doesn't get talked about because it looks unsexy, and it's difficult for outfits like TechCrunch just to pick on somebody to cover what goes on in the world of entrepreneurship when it's combined with providing some sort of professional services. So when I say entrepreneurship, that's what I'm talking about. That's also what my guest today, Jim Bond, is talking about. I don't think you've heard anybody on this podcast quite like Jim. I had a great conversation with him, and I thought he had tons of interesting stuff to say. I think you'll agree. Give it a chance. It's, it's probably a little bit outside the box that you're thinking in. And Jim says why. He says that's because a lot of us are in the box of thinking of ourselves as employees with a bunch of bosses or employees with no boss. But that's not the that second part's not the point. The first <laughs> the point is that first part. We think of ourselves as a form of being an employee, a variation of being an employee. Jim identifies the problem with that and talks about if you drop that sort of constraining mental filter, what other options are available to you? Some pretty interesting ones, it turns out. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Jim Bond. Jim Bond, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm awesome. Thank you, Philip. Glad to have you how here. You? Uh, I'm good. So <laughs> uh, standard question to start out with, who are you and what do you do? Um, a behavioral management specialist and marketing management strategic planning also. Um, for I used to run an advertising agency ages ago. I'm originally from Montreal. Huh. And uh, so Canadians, eh? Uh-huh. And, uh, but I live in Southern California now. Nobody seems to ask me why. Is it weather related? You think? Yeah, right. <laughs> so in the beach, oh, the beach is awesome. So, but so, uh, and uh, for, I'm old, so I'm like really ancient. And for, uh, I guess, 35 years or more, I worked as a, a business coach, a marketing management strategic planning. And along the way, I started a behavioral management firm. And for 13 years within that, I ran a behavioral management firm uh, and, uh, just, you know, with everything from Fortune 500, divisions of Fortune 500 companies to um, uh, to smaller firms. I also do uh, um, coaching for the small business, U.S. Small Business Administration, helping smaller businesses and, you know, tech guys, app guys. I have tons mm-hmm. of them. I love them. Somehow I have an affinity for them. They're good people. Um, yeah, they're logical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you don't know logic. You shouldn't be in this business. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, the folks at home are like scrutinizing your 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 history and wondering what, why I've invited you onto the show. And I think where we're going is 
going to be a surprise because it's not really apparent from what you've done in the past. So let's kind of set this up for folks. Um, if you're in client services, you're thinking about how you can stabilize your income, how you can avoid, in fact, the situation of having too much reliance on a single client. Mm -hmm. You um, have a book that almost suggests the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Can I let you kind of take it from there and just sort of explain the main idea and then we'll, we'll dig into it? Yes. It's called The One Client Breakthrough. And it's the idea is wouldn't it be great if you could have one client that you made so much money from that you wouldn't have to screw around going looking for other clients because you were making so much money from this one client without dependence. And so if anything happened, you were telling me, you told me at one point that, uh, you know, one client dependence can be scary because you can, you know, if, you know, you're just dependent on this one person and their whims and everything else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but if you could make a such an incredible amount of money, six high six seven figures as in i made seven figures at doing this eventually had a client that uh you know shut me off so we had a problem but for two years i went making seven figures it's the first time i ever made that many zeros it was mm -hmm. fantastic in fact i had a wayne's world moment where i was thinking i'm not worthy i'm not worthy am i allowed to make this much money <laughs> did you have to apply for a license to make that much money <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> So, no, I didn't, but I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, wait, can we cash it? Put it in, you know, yeah. it goes in the bank. This is, is that really our bank account? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, for me, having one client almost put me out of business because that one client, and, and this is not an exaggeration. Yeah, I had like maybe one or two other small clients, but when I was early into working for myself, I – you know, I did the exact same thing that I criticized my previous employer for doing and that I thought was the worst idea. But I realized it's really hard to resist when, when you get that big client that wants to soak up all your available time. Right. You're sort of like, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, it means I don't have to go out and look for other clients. I don't have to do that work. So, sure, let's do this. And then, you know, things change. And all of a sudden, a lot of revenue can disappear. What you're talking about is different than that, Right. Absolutely. We don't recognize how much value we bring. So we're, we're trained by school to think like employees. So we think like an employee. Okay, I make this much money. Uh, you know, I need to have lots of clients so that I can make a good living, maybe retire someday, hopefully do something I enjoy doing and everything else. I have a friend who was, um, uh, he was a network manager who's a genius at uh, Amgen, the biotech giant. And, uh, but he had terrible bedside manners. So they, his boss wanted to fire him, but they couldn't fire him because he's too smart. It would take like two and a half people to fire this guy who at least knew all the stuff that he was doing. And it was as the company was becoming a billion dollar company and he was like integral, but he never re recognized his value until after they fired him. It took him about, uh, you know, almost two years to fire him because they had to figure out how can we do all the stuff that he does. And so he was terrified as often you get when you lose a major job. And uh, he knew he had terrible bedside manner, but he had no idea how valuable he was. Mm -hmm. So for him, he started, you know, he found one of these sites that has, uh, you know, where you pitch uh, problems. If you have problems, can you solve our problem? You know, big companies would do that. Mm -hmm. He started making a ton of money uh, and getting tons of clients. He went like, this is easy. These are easy problems to solve because he had really such much more complex problems he dealt with. But he never, he, he, 
almost quadrupled in literally in a year, he quadrupled the money he was making at Amgen. Um, and he got paid well, um, almost overnight. In fact, not only did he quadruple the money, but he was, he didn't have to do the work. He found that he, all these other people could get outsourced and just oversee what he was doing, but it comes. And that's not the one client breakthrough, but that's the concept of, we don't recognize how valuable we are and we end up not taking a piece of the action. What started me on all this is I had this client, it was a construction company in Glendale, California. And um, I invented this management process. It doesn't matter. It could have been an app, but it's in this case, it was a management process. Um, and in one year I took them they, after 10 years, there were three partners. They were at 2 million of sales, which is pretty good. In one year I took them to 10 million. By the way, it was a joke because it was supposed to be 12 million. So they kept razzing me saying, Hey, it was supposed to be 12 million. Remember that? It's like, shut up. <laughs> but, uh, but, and then literally within a, almost two years later, they were at 32 million based on what I did for them. And so I took them from two to 32 million in sales and I got a fee. I got paid well, but I didn't get a piece. They got to walk away with this massive wealth and just having a great time. And I had to go and look for another client, you know, mm-hmm. and my work was done. And it just, it, it pissed me off. It just bothered, I mean, they didn't, but I just, somehow I was trapped in a box. Like if, if I'm offering something that's really valuable, can I take a piece of it? Instead of, you know, and, and I think that's the concept that most people don't understand. Certainly, you know, I have an app developer that I coached uh, through the Small Business Administration. And uh, he, was, he was bidding against these two other guys. And he said, I'm probably not going to get this. And it was an equipment manufacturer. I think it was $11 million, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And they had virtually no sales online. And he could build this, you know, the whole, the back end basically. Uh, so that he's got, uh, uh, you know, uh, e-commerce online and everything. And uh, also he wanted to do innovative stuff too. And he said, I can, these guys, uh, they can, I can sell millions of dollars worth of their stuff online. I can build the engine and do that stuff. And what I don't know, I could figure out or, or learn or hire a coach. And uh, so it really, it frustrates me. That's what he said. So I said, so why don't you do this? You're doing this the wrong way. You're competing against two other suppliers bidding why don't you do it the other way and be entrepreneurial and say instead you know why don't i charge you just i'll charge you just cost but i want a piece of it he eventually negotiated for seven percent by the way of sales Mm -hmm. uh and uh he said well i can't do that and i said why not because i can't am i allowed to do that it was funny he used the same line i used for myself am i allowed to do that is that legal right And it's, yeah, what do you have to lose? You're not going to get it anyway. So what do you have to lose by not pitching it? And I, and I said, not only that, but think of the advantage to them is you have skin in the game. So you're going to make sure they make as much money as possible. You're not just bidding on their project. You're a partner in their business the te- on the tech side. You're going to run the tech side of their business. And, uh, and so I spent a lot of time talking him through it. And he sat down with the client. And he went through it. There were like three, two brothers and they said, uh, let's think about it. And literally within two days, they called him up and said, yeah, we, we want you. Mm-hmm. And he ended up winning the thing. Uh, this year, it, it took him a year and a half. He generated 350 grand. On top of the fact they paid costs on it, he generated 350 grand. He said, we're just starting. You know, he's really excited about this thing. But, uh, and he'll probably make, you know, I mean, I, you know, three or four times that ultimately not only that he gets paid every year you know as as a if he did the app for them and if he did the back end for them he would have done it gotten paid and maybe gotten a small maintenance fee now he's getting 
you know, great money on an ongoing basis. And it's because he's thinking like an entrepreneur. I mean, I took a bit, a, a bit of a kick in the pants by me, but, you know, we're trapped. And I'm, I, I came from this also, so I know where we're all coming from. But we tend to think like employees. Okay, I do this. I write an app or whatever else. And I, uh, you know, and I'll make a little bit of money and I'll get enough clients and hopefully everything will work out. Hopefully I'll get good clients. I mean, I just remember this, sorry, this one thing. Uh, you know who Joel Com is? No, I don't. Okay, so Joel Com. Uh, was trying to make money uh, in uh, college and he didn't want to work at McDonald's. And he read that uh, you can write apps for uh, the iPhone when it was first uh, just coming out. And they made it in such a way that it's pretty easy to learn how to make the, write the apps. So I'm building blocks and all that. I mean, you guys know more than me. And so he, he was sitting with a bunch of guys that were drinking and they got this idea. Wouldn't it be funny to have a, which eventually became the iFart app, okay? Excuse my language, but that's what it's called. <laughs> right. And it was like, wouldn't it be funny if we got the iPhone to start farting and making gross noises on a timer mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that somebody could set their phone on a timer, like, you know, 20 seconds, put it on your chair in a meeting or in an office or in school <laughs> and then step away and just watch it. And slowly but surely it starts making noises and more frequently and more frequently. And people are looking around wondering, who's make, who's doing this? <laughs> right. you know, And freak out. He charged 99 cents. It was just a crazy thing. It was such a crazy idea at the height of it. And it did it for over two years that they were making $10,000 a day. It was generating in sales and he did no advertising or anything. $10,000 a day for creating this kooky little joke, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, well, of course I'm exaggerating. It wasn't 10,000 cause he had to give 30% to Apple. So mm-hmm. he only made 7,000. Boo right, right. you know? yeah. A lot of people don't make 7,000 a month. He was making it a day, you know, and he just, and it was just, but we don't realize particularly for app developers, but also tech people. And, and most of us, not even just tech people, everybody, that if you are a supplier to clients, you often have uh, something that can be tremendously valuable if you look at it from a slightly different uh, perspective. Okay, so that's that's awesome. Um, let's circle back and dig into a few elements of that a little more deeply. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree that HR departments have kind of um, done a lot of damage <laughs> to people who are independent workers by setting these... I don't know, um, norms that seem so powerful and pervasive that it's hard to get away from them. You know, in, in the work that I do that the norm that I think is so toxic is, is describing yourself primarily in terms of your skills. You think of yourself as a bundle of skills. What problems do you, uh, uh, you know, the, the main problem you've identified thus far from that kind of employee mindset is missing entrepreneurial opportunities Right. What, what, can you talk a little more about that? Like how, how does that happen? There, there are plenty of people who just go straight out of, let's say college or whatever schooling they do into self-employment. How does this affect them? Well, we think of ourselves, you're absolutely right. We think of ourselves as a bundle of skills, but these skills come together to create something in the end. So what's that thing it creates in the end? I, mean, I know this person that knows um, not a tech thing, but knows um, how to sell to the government, work at a company that did government contracting and has kind of learned how to do the paperwork and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I want to get a job for somebody else that wants to do that. And I said, why are you doing that? Why don't you, do you realize how valuable what you have is? Why don't you say, I want to, you, I want to sell your product to the government 
and I want to take a piece of the action. Uh, so, and, and it was foreign to him, you know, because we're so focused on our skills. I'm a bundle of skills. I'm not a end result, but that bundle of skills creates an end result. And we're stuck here at the bundle part and not at the end result part. Well, look at the end result. So they had Tony Robbins on the cover of a fortune magazine mm-hmm. and they had Mark Benioff, who's a billionaire who's founded salesforce.com. And he pays them like $30 million a year now. You know, a lot of his top people pay, uh, top clients pay a million dollars a year, but he paid them, I think, 30 million. And so somebody said, well, why do you pay him so much? He said, without him, I would never become a billionaire. Hmm. Is it that bad to pay somebody 30 million for helping me become a billionaire? You know what I mean? But we don't think of it in that perspective of like, what are we helping the other guy to do? Mm-hmm. This guy I was talking about that was bidding on the project, he's helping them to get richer. He's helping them to get richer without having to deal with all the hassle of the tech stuff and everything else because he'll deal with that. And so he's thinking, well, I'm just providing this app or the back end uh, as far as online is concerned. No, that's not what you're doing. You're giving them a means without a stressless means to achieving what their life goal is. What's that worth? Mm -hmm. Are there specific ways that – do you think about this from the perspective of – here's the value of what we're doing. It's probably going to generate this much of a financial upside or this much revenue for you, dear client. Or do you just think in terms of it's going to make things better? Like how specific do you have to be in terms of envisioning that end result? Well, you got to think of the math on it because don't, you know, I mean, don't work with somebody who's, you know, going to make, you know, even a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars and you're going to get like, you know, a small piece of it, like 1% Mm -hmm. or something like that. So you do want to do basic math on it, but I think you'll often be surprised by how much it's the, the, the guy I was telling you about who was sold this company and got a piece of it and got the 350 grand. He didn't think it was getting 350 grand. We, we looked at the math on it roughly. I said, how much do you think you can sell? He said, well, I think I could turn it into like five, six, seven million dollars. Okay. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I think it's easy because they have no presence and I've done a little research and all that stuff. And I could do it because I see that other people that are out there and they're crap. I can write a, you know, better apps and easy and, and all this stuff and we can capitalize on it. So I said, well, let's do the math on it. And we said 10%, let's figure 10%, you know, 10% is an easy way to go. Mm-hmm. Eventually they negotiated them down to 7%, but still it was really good. So you want to do the rough math on it, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So to me, there are three ways you do this. The first way is, you boost the client's income and you take a percentage. That's mm-hmm. a common one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second way is you leverage a client to get something bigger. And that would be my guy that I have this um, a company that makes uh, the two guys that are app developers. They developed uh, an app, uh, sensors apps. Uh, and one of them worked at, at Lockheed, uh, sorry, at Boeing. And, uh, so he left Boeing, but they loved him so much they let him be an outsourced supplier. Eventually, he got a second client, which was Disney. Okay, mm-hmm. and so I interacted with him. He didn't want to pay my fee, which was okay. It was still it's kind of fun, you know, when you interact with people. Uh, it was a little too high or whatever. But he said, "I don't. We have too much one client dependence on Boeing and uh, uh, Disney, and uh, we want to get more clients. We want to figure out how to do it." And so I thought about it and I said, well, you can partner with, um, you know, you have the sensors uh, for uh, simulators. 
that would be ideal for robotics as robotics is hot and you can get somebody who's in early stage or relatively early stage is really smart. We're in Southern California. So I said, Caltech's down the street. You can just go there and find the smartest person at Caltech and partner with them. And they went, Oh, that's a great idea. You know, and we, the more we talked about it, he said, in fact, this is awesome for, for robotics because we've got stuff that he starts telling me all this stuff. And plus for venture capital or whatever, it's easy to say, by the way, one of our partners has Boeing and Disney as clients, you know, that's really sexy to them. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's the second piece is leverage. So I said, you have tremendous leverage because you've got this fantastic technology that other people would want. So become partners with somebody else. Uh, part of the problem is we're creatures of, uh, you know, we, we live in a small box and uh, we don't realize that we can actually step outside the box and do something that's a little over our comfort zone. In this case, he thought it was a great idea. And for like about a month, it was a great idea that didn't get acted on. So I finally said, well, why don't I go out and I'll find somebody, bring them together. If you guys like each other, we'll start a company. And the only thing I ask is that I'll have, you know, I'll do this for free, but I want to get 20%. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, sure. Had no idea how much money it was going to be. But to me, robotics is like, wow, there has to be big money in that. Right. And so I took 20% and, and found this guy who was incredible, uh, who was just a genius. And they fell in love with each other, the two guys, uh, on the two sides, I mean. And uh, this year we got, we just got offered $85 million uh, for the company, which my 20% is suddenly more money than I ever made. So it's really good. And they passed, we passed on it because we know we can get more. But so that's the second piece is leverage is you have something that's valuable for somebody that you can, or, or a client that has something that's valuable and you can leverage that into, to getting a bigger deal or something, something bigger. And the third one is um, do something for your clients that your client doesn't, the client wants, but isn't willing to do themselves. I had a client that was, uh, uh, this is what started for me the first time I actually did it personally myself without doing it with my clients. And it was uh, a supplement manufacturer um, who didn't want to, I said, um, why don't you set up an online store and sell it online? And he said, I don't want to do that because I don't want to compete with my uh, distributors. And I said, okay. And I thought about it for a while. And I said, well, how about if I do it? Would you let me do it? And he said, yeah, as long, you know, just make sure you're not pissing off my distributors, you know, but yeah, a lot of sales fall through the cracks. And if you want to do that, that's great. Well, you know, I took all the online courses and stuff and I know how to build a, an online store, right? Not really. It's a lot harder than I thought. And so for six months, I made almost no money mm. and not almost no money. When I say almost no money, I mean no money, okay? Zero. <laughs> right. And uh, then I figured, well, hey, I'm a coach. and Coaches are great. There are coaches out there. Let me hire a coach or a consultant. The first coach I hired, I think I paid a thousand bucks and just threw the, might as well put it down the toilet because they didn't help. They were terrible. But the second one I hired, suddenly I started making a ton of money. And it was weird because, you know, he got me doing exercises and stuff and I, 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 um, uh, and did the tech stuff. And, uh, I remember, you know, suddenly a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand is coming in. It was really good. 50,000. I started freaking out. It's like, this is like money's coming in. This is, I can actually cash this. It's going into our bank account. This is weird. A hundred thousand, 150,000. And then I realized it's, I'm making more money doing this than I am as a, as a consultant. And this was, it started freaking me out. It's like, mm-hmm. am I allowed? I had a Wayne's world moment. Like, am I allowed to do this? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy <laughs> because this was, it's scary. I mean, to suddenly, you know, I guess we get a self-definition of who we are. I never thought of myself as a multimillionaire, but suddenly it's a hundred, 200, 300. And then we pass uh, seven figures, uh, you know, and then it was incredible. I was making all this money. I never thought I could, 
but I was basically doing something this guy didn't want to do on his own. And I knew, you know, you're crazy to not do this and why you're not doing this. But I, it was a hassle and it wasn't really exactly what he wanted to do. This is one of the things that I, th- I discovered in my behavioral management background helped me with this is that we are trapped in how things are supposed to be. That's what school programs us. You know, we have over 20,000 hours of schooling teaching us there's a way to do things and that's how you do it. You know, I'm the teacher, you're the student and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what if we want to build our own curriculum? They wouldn't let us do it. If we said, I want a little bit of psychology, a little bit of technology, a little bit of, you know, all this stuff. No, you can't do that. You got to take one major. If you want two, you got to, you know, all this stuff, all these rules. And so what I discovered for myself, after a few years, I sort of, we, we things happened and I lost the rights to the product, uh, but I still made fabulous money. I mean, the first time I ever made like seven figures. But I realized also, I became fascinated by the fact that it just, it was, it was easy doing it, but getting myself to do it was scary because it was so out of my comfort zone. You know, I had never thought about the number of hours that uh, someone would spend in school if they, you know, went through the typical American school system, showed up every day, that kind of thing. Is it? About 20,000 hours? Yep. You know, what's interesting is, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's got his 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. So yep. what, or may, I don't think it's expert, but, you know, to kind of master something. Yep. So you put those two together, and I guess we're twice over mastering what? Becoming good at doing what people tell us <laughs> if we that's, in the schooling system. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're twice over uh, masters of that subject. Okay, I don't want to get down a, a like. I think you and I could go on a fun rant about schooling, but I don't have kids, and I've learned that the one. But think thing, of how many people say like we watch Shark Tank or something. And go, oh, I had my wife. They had a squatty potty. My wife says, oh, I had that idea ten years ago, but you didn't do anything. Right. Somebody else did, you know. Yeah. And so think of how many things we think of, and we go, oh, that was my idea. Or I have a great idea, and we don't implement it. And I think that's like you said, school waits us. You know, they tell us to, you know, do what you're told. You know? Yeah. I can't tell me. I don't have kids, and I know one thing people who do have kids love is getting advice from people who don't have kids about how to raise their kids. So I'm going to steer clear <laughs> of that subject. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a few other questions, though, Jim. Um, you kind of touched on this, but why don't companies fix these problems themselves if they're some sort of clear opportunity for that company to make more revenue or cut cost or whatever it is by addressing that problem. Why don't they just do it themselves or why don't they hire somebody for a fraction of the cost of paying a percentage to somebody else? Because it's out of their comfort zone. Hmm. I'll give you an example. Okay. So I have a, I have a son and three daughters and they're in their thirties. So like I said, I'm really old. <laughs> um, but um, so my middle daughter is a, is a tremendously successful realtor in Montana. And she just got her broker's license. They started a brokerage and all that stuff. And they're doing mm-hmm. great. And so I came across this uh, LinkedIn class, uh, LinkedIn marketing uh, online. You know, I get pitched stuff as I'm sure you do. Everybody does. Sure. And I checked it out and I know it and it, it's great. I, it would be perfect for her. So I submit, I, I sent an email to her and I t- chatted with her. And I said, there's this great program and they've got a, a, they've got lots of success with realtors. You know, I think it would be great. And she went, okay, great. And never did it. Mm-hmm. And so a month passed and two no months passed. Now, why didn't she ever do it? It's because, and so now she's asking me if I'll do it, you know, and only because I've been bugging her about that she should do this thing. Cause you know, it's, for a few thousand bucks, suddenly you start getting a flow of clients and you can measure if it's good or not good, you know? Sure. 
but it's out of her comfort zone. She knows how to run her business. She knows how to get clients. She knows how to service clients and sell properties or whatever else. She knows how to, you know, the, the money people and all that stuff that she knows how to do, but she's uncomfortable online. Like I have, um, so, and I, I, I marvel at this. So I do uh, workshops for a small business administration. Mm-hmm. I do live workshops and I try to send people to an opt-in. Uh, like your people, by the way, anybody who's out there, I have a book on this. It's one is all you need.com. So let me try that. Okay. But I, I try to send people to the opt-in uh-huh. and nobody goes. And I have like this incredible stuff. I show them the stuff and they ogle over it. Whoa, this is fantastic, but they don't go. And I realized that there are people who live online and there are people who live live and they're totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I do I'm on a podcast now. Well, podcast people are totally different from other people. I do radio sometimes. Uh, for some of the things I do. And they're totally different people. Each one of these people are totally different. And so we live in a world that has these artificial boundaries. We don't realize it, but everybody does. Okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. The King of whatever queen of England has bound. We all have these boundaries of things. We, you know, how we live and, and everything else. Right. And so companies have that too. And I know, cause I've worked with a gazillion fortune 500 divisions. And in the beginning I thought, wow, would they like our program? And then suddenly I realized these guys are as dumb as everybody else. I mean, I don't mean dumb. Guys, if you're any of my clients out there, you're not dumb. Okay? <laughs> I mean, we're as, you know, we're as limited as everybody else. That's a nice way to say it. But we all have these things. We So if take my daughter who's a realtor. You know, yes, I can talk her into the fact that, and I have, that this is phenomenal. And she's crazy to not do this because they're going to get a lot more clients. But she won't do it because she's got her way of doing stuff. You know, she wakes up at so much, such and such an hour. She does these things. She, you know, brushes her teeth or whatever. She goes to work. She does how she prospects clients and everything else. And we're, we become, we are creatures of habit. So we get stuck in our habit pattern. And that's why it takes somebody who's either outside of the habit pattern or like a consultant or a coach, or it takes somebody who's, um, willing to endure a little discomfort mm-hmm. uh, to do something that's different. So that's why, I, I mean, I'm amazed by, you know, these simple things. I mean, I can give you tons of examples of companies I've worked with and I've made really good money um, that you'd ask, why didn't they do it themselves? Like for I, I, the, the, the supplement company, how come they just hire somebody to build a site for them and do this stuff online? They eventually did when they saw how much money was coming in. Cause remember mm-hmm. if I'm making that much money, they're making that much money too. Right. He actually had a, you know, somebody looked at it and said, well, why are we letting him make all that money? We can make, you know, double if we, you know, so things happen. But, but the point is until that happens, you know, we have terrible, you know, it's like the iPhone. I'm an expert at marketing. And when Steve Jobs put a camera on the iPhone, I went, what the hell? Who wants a camera on an iPhone? I didn't buy my camera. But it's like, it's a vision. He was a visionary, you know, he saw stuff that we didn't see. And so it's after you see it that you go, oh, but before you see it, it's, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I think that's really what happens is we're terrible visionaries. We, can, we live in our world. We know how things are. And that's why we can do deals with clients that, and they'll say yes to them. Make sure you get it in writing. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I'm not a lawyer, so mm-hmm. I'm not giving legal advice. What I do is I just do an invoice and just put a couple of paragraphs on it, get them to sign it, you know, mm-hmm. but that's a contract. So. Um, but people say, yes, you know, what happens is after they start making a ton of money, they go, Whoa, Hey, he's making a lot of money. And maybe you have to renegotiate, but make sure you made enough money up front right. and make sure, you know, and do it that way. And then, 
you know, if you make five, six, seven million dollars and somebody, you know, does you wrong, well, okay, go lick your wounds on five, six, seven million dollars, you know? So you've coached a number of people. Have you, would you agree that positive change can be as threatening as negative change? Oh, yeah. Change. It's, it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. It's just change yeah. is threatening. Yeah. It's scary. I think it's scary for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to ask you why, why, why you think that is, but I think you just answered it. It's, um, it's the unknown. Yeah. It's and, because we're creatures of habit. It's wired into us. You know, we're wired to do things a certain way. It's like you go to work a certain way, or if you work out of your home, you know, there's certain things you do. And uh, I was reading, uh, I, I heard an interview with Michael Crichton, who wrote uh, Jurassic Park and all these things. And he said he created the habit of he woke up one hour earlier than he would normally wake up. He forced himself to do that, and he would write for one hour. You know, some days he'd write for two or three hours, but he basically, most days he wrote for only one hour. Mm -hmm. But writing for that, because he created that habit of writing for one hour, he ended up writing this massive number of incredibly successful uh, books, you know, Jurassic Park, and well, it's a ton ton of them. But uh, it's just, he created the habit. And I think that's what happened. He would never have been a writer if he couldn't have created the habit because he couldn't have created the habit because he need, you needed that anchor, mm-hmm. you know, every day at six o'clock in the morning or whatever time he woke up for six to seven, he write, he wrote mm-hmm. and suddenly, bam, he became a fam- world famous author. Yeah. And so for us, it's the same thing is that we are, we find these habits and the, the habits make our life easier. It's how we can function because we can't be constantly doing new things every single day. We go insane. And so we find these habits and the habits are good because they help us to be really effective in certain things that we do. But they also limit us, and we have to recognize that, or if we want to, you know, identify opportunities, we have to recognize that, you know, what's outside the boundary, and is it really, really exciting? And and you know, if you find something that's really exciting, and you you find it, you can't get yourself to do it. You hire a coach, let them push you. You know, mm-hmm. say here's what I want to do, and I want you to push me every day to do this, and blah blah blah, whatever, once a week, and they'll push you to do it also. I mean, we have lots. That's why the coaching has exploded life coaching and all that stuff. I think there are a lot of, you know, not everybody's that great, but there are a lot of good coaches out there. But, you know, it's, again, it's to break that, to break the habit that we're stuck in. Let me ask you two really dumb tactical questions. And then I want, <laughs> want to wrap there are up no with, dumb a, questions. Trust with, me. with a big uh, open-ended question. So um, the dumb tactical questions, where does this kind of revenue go on like a tax form? I assume you, you're filing taxes since you're here in the U.S. Uh, where does it go on the IRS form? <laughs> uh, 1099. Oh, it's just 1099 revenue? Yeah. Nothing that fancy? No. It's easy. I mean, I do coaching for people who are starting businesses, and somebody said, well, don't I have to get licenses and everything? Well, I guess you might have a, a business license if you're working out of your home or something. Sure. I know a lot of people don't, but I won't say they tell who they are. Sure, sure. But, um, um, but no, you don't, you know, somebody said, well, the first thing I need to get is a corporation or an LLC. I said, no, why don't you start the business, see if you can make money and then set up an LLC, mm-hmm. you know, do it. You're doing it backwards. Like you're getting all the kid because most businesses or many businesses fail when they start. And it's because we focus on the junk stuff instead of the valuable stuff. You know, there's a thing in marketing. We say, ready, fire, aim, right. You know, don't, <laughs> don't try to perfect it, you know, make it as good enough that you can do a, a test to see, you know, a proof of concept. Does it make sense? Does anybody like this? And uh, if they do, then, you know, so so here's a tech person, uh, Ryan Dice. Do you know who Ryan Dice is, D-E-I-S-S? I do. 
Okay. So Ryan Dice is awesome. And Ryan Dice uh, was a tech guy. He went to, I guess, University of Texas or one of those. Um, and uh, he became partners with uh, Perry Belcher, this other guy. And um, Perry Belcher is a real cowboy. He was actually, well, I won't say all the stories about him, but um, he, 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 so he and Ryan Dice teach a ton of people how to make money with digital marketing. But they're both think-out-of-the-box guys, particularly Perry Belcher. So he said, why don't we sell like a $1,000 program? And I know this from personal experience because I'm one of the people that bought it and I sort of learned the back end. Why don't we sell a $1,000 program on how to build um, a uh, membership site, uh, how to make money with memberships, and uh, we'll sell for 1000 bucks? And then all the clients that buy it, why don't we evaluate them, contact them, and see who has really good stuff? Because you know most people aren't going to actually implement the stuff because most people don't. You buy it, and it's a great idea, but then, wow, it's a little more complicated. But we know how to build the back end. And then we'll partner with them. Eventually, he got one is called uh, Survival Life, which they make millions of dollars off and uh, became partners with it. But what Perry Belcher does is so then he said, I know how to find uh, products that people are looking for and they're having a hard time finding. And so he went online and he did some research and found uh, that one of the problem, one of the products was, I think they're called stanchions and it's these posts that you see in a, in a, in a, um, like a movie theater or a bank that are connected by a ribbon, you know, by a piece of material and those posts. And where do you get them? Well, people are often looking for those things and have no idea where to get them. So he, what the first thing he did was he ran ads, uh, selling the stanchions, even though he didn't have access to them and people were signing up wanting to buy them. He said, we're out of stock. <laughs> out of stock? He never had stock. Um, and I'm not saying to anybody to do this. I don't know if this is legal or not legal. It's probably not legal, okay? But this mm-hmm. is what he did. But he, he ran ads for it to see if there was demand. There was demand because people wanted it. So then he found a, a, a supplier in China. This was before Alibaba, but now Alibaba is an easier way to do it, the online site, uh, like Amazon, but for China. And uh, he found a supplier and start, bought inventory and he started selling them. Now he owns, I think, two manufacturing plants in China that manufacture stanchions. But what he did was he recognized, let's find what people want to spend money on before we start getting it. And then once, if we recognize that people actually do want to spend money on this, then we can, I can start supplying it, you know? And so it's almost like app developers. You have a really cool app. I'm not saying to do this. Of course, I'm, you know, but you know, find out if there's a demand first uh, and, you know, be, before you spend two years building it, basically, you know, yeah, can you build right. a small version of it first and see if there's actually a demand for it? Hmm. Or if it's easy enough, like uh, uh, Joel Com did, uh, you know, do the iFart app and make money off that. But, mm-hmm. you know, but you, I think I see people all the time spending years doing this life project never get into completion and never at least doing a dry run. That's why ready fire aim is so important. It's like, you know, do a rough and dirty, a down and dirty, a rough and dirty a version of it, you know, go out there and see if people want to buy the thing. And if they do, you know, then, you know, roll up your sleeves and make it better. How do you track what's owed to you when you are taking a percentage of something? So the most, there, there are two ways you do it. Uh, the first, the, the hardest way is trusting them because, you know, there are two, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, 
Andy Grove said only the paranoid survive. You got to be paranoid and know mm-hmm. that everybody's going to try to screw you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, in many of the cases, you have a shopping cart where you control the shopping cart. Okay. Or control the income. I have uh, part ownership of the that business, so that's easy because if somebody's going to try to buy the business, I have in- income and I get to see the income and all that stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. so we do that. Um, but as as often as you can, like when I was doing uh, the supplement, I was set up as a distributor, so I can see every sale came through me, so I could see the sales coming through me. Okay, they came to me, through me, and then they had the shopping cart. Basically, a shopping cart led to their company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I could count, you know, literally do a physical count of the people that are going through. So you want to have a tangible way that somehow the business is going through. This guy I was telling you about who set it up for the manufacturing company, the $11 million manufacturing company, uh, that he was, uh, uh, you know, he, all the sales go through him physically. They process it. They collect the checks and everything, but the, they go through him first. So he gets a chance to see uh, physically how much is going through. Got it. Okay. So it, it sounds like it varies quite a bit. You just sort of find a way to insert yourself well, don't in the trust. process. You, you got to be careful not to trust. And I, it, it's not because, you know, I'm not saying to be a misanthrope and hate people, but just accept the fact that, you know, I just gave you $4 million. You have $4 million cash in your hand. Weird things happen to people that suddenly have all this money. Are mm-hmm. they going to give me my fair share? Right. You know, and so try to set it up in such a way so that they can't not, you know, I mean, you know, don't, I mean, I, I'm a behavioral management specialist, so I recognize human behavior and, and people say, well, why are people like that? They are, you know, you know, you could spend a whole life trying to figure out why, but they are, you know, things change. Look at lottery. Two people in, invest in a lottery ticket and one guy gets the, one person gets the money and the other person can't find them anymore. You know what I mean? People mm-hmm. change when suddenly things happen. And so, and this is this strategy will generate more money than many people have ever expected. I find it with like most of the people I'm involved with. I mean, I have this friend I was, you know, I have talked about him in the book. Uh, he was an attorney actually, and had this uh, person come into his office who was um, a retired buyer for Costco departments, uh, the stores. And he went, Oh, I have a client that's trying to get into Costco. So you could probably help me. And then he stopped and he went, wait a second why don't I be your partner and forget about this legal thing. And uh, we can go out and find companies that want to be in Costco and we can take a piece of it. Eventually it expanded. And he said, the Costco guy said, and the Costco guy said, yeah, sure. sounds like fun. Okay. So then they started making so much money. They started buying companies because they were making so much money. But he said, so a lot of the companies have fabulous products that are ideal for Costco, but they can't, you know, they can't manufacture enough to produce it for Costco. And he said, the Costco guy said, but I know all the suppliers. So I can find a supplier who will manufacture it for us. And in fact, not only that, but if we get a purchase order from Costco, they'll finance it. We don't even have to put up any money. And so uh, my friend went, really? That's great. Let's go and look for products. And they, he's literally worth just over a hundred or just over just under a hundred million dollars. I mean, he started doing this thing and it happened very fast and it was scary because it seemed too easy, mm-hmm. you know, but it wasn't easy. It, I mean, it was easy, but it wasn't easy because it was out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so the two of them, you know, he got this brainstorm idea. He was tired of being a lawyer. It's like, who wants to be a lawyer? And uh, I mean, you lawyers out there, that's, I didn't mean that, but 
but you know, it just, it was just grunt work having to do that. And he went, this will be a lot more fun where I'm the boss instead of somebody else. And he just, you know, I, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Steve jobs and, uh, um, John Scully, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you know, John Scully, who was, uh, the guy he, he got from Pepsi. Mm-hmm. And so Steve Jobs gave John Scully the line because John Scully said, I don't want to be the president of Apple. I mean, it's, you know, it's not my thing. And then Steve Jobs said to him, so you could either sell colored water for the rest of your life or you could help me change the world. <laughs> Steve Jobs and, and, and John Scully said, I had sleepless nights. I couldn't, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and say, all I'm doing is selling colored water. He's changing the world. Do I really want to do this? And he recognized that it was, you know, this is a lot more, changing the world is a lot more fun. I mean, certainly it had its issues, <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, when we start realizing I can do that, suddenly everything changes where you go, this would be fun, mm-hmm. you know? So that's the question I want to end on is, is how do you discover companies that need these kind of problems solved? How do you get better at spotting opportunities like these? Um. Well, first, get my book. <laughs> it's free. Step one. <laughs> uh, yeah, step one. Okay. And it's at uh, oneisallyouneed.com. So I think if love is all you need, no, it feels long. So oneisallyouneed.com. Um, it's, it takes practice. So what, here's what you do, okay? Take a look at every, take a look at the clients you have now, if you have clients, and stop for a second and ask yourself these questions. If I, can I accelerate then there are the three questions. Can I accelerate the growth of this company and take a piece of it? Would they let me do that? Or could I leverage them? Could I take them and partner them up with somebody else or with me where we develop something that's different or bigger than what they're doing right now? Mm-hmm. The third one is, is there something that they're doing or is there something that they want, but they're not willing to do it themselves that I could do it and it would really be great. And that's a starting point. And, I th- and what I do is I do this exercise with people where we'll sit and we'll go through, you know, so he said, well, I don't have, you know, clients that I could do that with. So, well, let's pick a client. Okay. We pick a client. And uh, so I have this guy who has a tech distributorship. I mean, uh, his, one of his clients is, sells uh, parts to, uh, uh, to electronics and uh, parts to auto industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. To like a car. Uh, it's a Best Buy, I think, and to, you know, uh, um, car maintenance shops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, so what else can you do? Can we find somebody who's a techie who would love to get their product distributed through those channels? And I know this cause I have personal experience in this. You can actually get it without having to put up any money because they would love to be distributed by that company. Uh, and then just, you become the middleman for that person. But so to answer your question is take a look, take a look at the companies that you know, or to friends that you know that have businesses or have really cool products or services, whatever else, take them one at a time and just ask yourself these three questions is, is there a way that I can boost their income uh, significantly and maybe make a piece of that, take a piece of that. If not, that is a way I can leverage them because they as part of something else could be awesome. You know? So what's that other thing they could be part of that would be awesome. And then maybe you can put those two together and become part of that. And then the third one is what, you know, would they love to do that they're not doing right now and they need a good kick in the butt. So instead of kicking them in the butt, maybe I can be the one that does it. 
Jim, where can folks uh, find out more? Because um, I know there's going to be introverts out there who are like, no way I can do this. Or, <laughs> you know, folks who are just, this is a bit outside the box for them, but they would like to learn more. What, where should they go to find out more? One is all you need.com. And I want to say I'm an introvert. I have been an introvert. Uh, and so it took, it took a while for me to get my head around this. But once I got my head around this, I was going to, it was going to explode because there's so many opportunities, mm-hmm. but one is all you need.com. You get a free, you know, my free ebook. And it's really, it's, I, you know, people really, I think it really gets them started. It gives you lots of examples and, and stuff it has some charts. That's great. Jim, thank you for taking the time to be here today. This was both interesting and um, enjoyable. You're very welcome. And thank you, Philip. You're awesome.